0: right and we're going to cover genesis chapter 37 to 50 it took us 11 months to cover five verses of james so i don't know how long it'll take us to cover 13 chapters of genesis but how long can it take you know i'm pretty sure it will go by the question is why joseph among all the other books that i can preach about why do i go back to the old testament Is it because Daniel Chung wants me to preach moral testament? Perhaps. I take requests, by the way, right? I take a request. Is it it because we've been in the New Testament for the last two years? I think the last time we were in the Old Testament, we talked about Abraham. And that was over two years ago, maybe. But I think I decided to talk about Joseph, because the book of Joseph, Is about the providence of God. And especially the providence of God in the light of evil things that people do to one another. We are living in uncertain times, to say the least. Just as we are getting over this COVID thing, now the Ukraine thing happened. It's like one thing after another, right? COVID happened. George Floyd happened, COVID happened again, now Ukraine. In the last two years, it seems that we're not, we can't get a break. And all of us, the world is living in uncertain times, evil times, dangerous times. And as the world is experiencing this, a lot of us are impacted by our personal lives. There are a lot of things in our personal lives that we are going through that is not very pleasant. Pleasant. But what the life of Joseph teaches us is that whether it is external, external forces or whether it is internal sin, God uses all things to accomplish his purpose. I know it's scary living in such a time. And I know it may be very difficult living in your particular circumstance. But the life of Joseph teaches us. Regardless of external or internal difficulties, God is still in control. In fact, God uses all these things to accomplish his purpose. And that is what the providence of God is. The book of Joseph, life of Joseph, is the best biblical example about the providence of God. What is the providence of God? Three different definitions. Number one, John Piper. John Piper says, The providence of God is his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. Once again, the providence of God is his purposeful sovereignty by which he will completely He will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. God has an ultimate goal for the universe. And he is involved in every facet of existence to make sure that his purpose will be accomplished. As I was thinking about this example, this definition, I was thinking about video games. My daughter likes to play, was it Animal Crossing? You guys play Animal Crossing? I don't know what that is, right? Like, so she is with we characters and she builds an island and housing and stuff. And she was playing it last year. And I said, So you're like building a house, purchasing things, getting a mortgage? She said, Yeah right? You can can get a mortgage. Even in games, you can get a mortgage, right? And so what's the objective? What's the purpose of this game? She says, there's no purpose. It's just me building a community. I go, what? There's no objective in this world. It's an open world. There is no objective. The last video game that I played was, what, 2008, right? PS2, James Bond, Russia with Love video game, that was the last video game that I was was addicted to. That was like, what, 13 years ago, 14 years ago? And I remember that video game, it was a glorious video game by PS2 standards. And it was such a detailed video game, right, with different sceneries and different cars and all that stuff. But the game had a purpose, which is James Bond, me, saving the world. Every character, every object, every st- everything was used so that eventually I will save the world. I did not play this nonsense open game world, right? I've played a game with a narrative and a purpose. We do not live in an open world where things are just seemingly happen uneventfully. That's what the atheists believe. Just random, everything's just a random cause of evolution. Everything is randomly caused, and everything will eventually randomly dissolve, basically. That's what they believe in. We believe in the opposite. The world believes in the world of animal crossing. We believe in a world of James Bond, where we go where the world is headed towards a particular direction. And God uses every little piece of existence, whether it is the smallest molecule, to the expanding universe, to your individual lives. He uses the lives of billions of people in the world, all of it, every episode, he uses it to accomplish his purpose. God is like, I think the planet God is like, I don't know, Star Wars, Millennium Falcon, 1,000-piece Lego set, right? There's a 1,000 is is pieces of Lego, whatever. It's like this huge Millennium Falcon. And it, there's like a 1,000-plus piece there. Every piece goes into the accomplishment of that design. All of our lives are Lego pieces. Your short life in this world is a Lego piece that God uses to accomplish his purpose. That's what the sovereignty of God is. That's what the providence of God is. God making sure that his purpose will be successful. God using everything, God being involved and in behind the scenes to make sure everything will happen in accordance to his purpose. Westminster Confession of Faith, definition of the providence of God. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, powerful, preserving and governing his creatures once again God's work of providence are his most holy wise powerful preserving governing work of all His creatures God's providence Westminster says God creates and governs his creatures through the various means of existence I have like I have like 10 lists of how God rules over all things According to the Bible, for example, the Bible clearly says the providence of God, God providentially controls over the universe at large. God controls the physical world. God controls the brute brute creatures of the world. God controls over man's birth. And, and, and a lot of his life. God controls over the affairs of the nations. God controls over the affairs of the king. God controls the affairs of his people. God controls everything. Small group leaders, if you want to have a good Bible study, I'm going to send you this note, right? Just focus on the Westminster Confession of Faith definition of what things God controls, according we'll to scripture. It is a very long list. Westminster says... God controls everything from the universe to an, to a, to when a person is born to govern and lead his creatures. Paul's definition of providence: Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight. And we all know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Once again, Romans eight twenty-eight, and we know that in all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul is saying is this. Those who love God. And Paul's definition of those who love God is not a person who just emotionally feels close to God once in a while. That is not Paul's definition of love of God. Paul's definition of love of God is, oh, PJ, PJ spoke a nice sermon, oh, I love God. That's not the definition of love. The definition of, of the person who loves God is a person who's been transformed into the very, into, in, it has been transformed, and their nature is in agreement with the nature of God. A person who loves God is a person who sees that God is is in control of all things, that God is the center of all things, that everything unfolds in accordance to God. The person who loves God is a person of faith, true faith, and a person of true faith sees everything in accordance to the plan of God. Paul says, such a person who loves God who has genuine faith in God. God will use, God will work, so that he will use all things to the benefit of those who love him. Paul is saying, if you have true faith in God, if you belong to him, God will use everything in life for your ultimate good. All things Paul talks about here is all things. Whether it is success or failure, wealth or poverty, health or sickness, gains or losses, God will use all things for the benefit of the people who truly believe in him. If you look at the life of Joseph, Joseph was, was, went through many, many cycles of life. He was born a favorite son. Then he was sold to slavery. Then he was at the Potiphar's house, and he was the, one of the chief servants of Potiphar. Then he was accused falsely of rape. He went to prison for two years. And then he became the, one of the prime ministers of Egypt. In the various success, various ebbs and flows of his life, God used every single incident to accomplish his good purpose in Joseph's life and in the life of his people Israel. If you belong to God, know this. He will use everything, including miserable failures, including miserable rejections, for your good. Look. When I was a kid, during my I'm fifty, right? During the two thirds of my life, people had called my family blessed. Really, my, my immediate family people called blessed because crazy miraculous things happened in my family really like things God answering prayers left and right left and right right my mom got so used to God answering her prayers it was crazy right and people called us blessed My mom thought God really loved her because of this miraculous things that is consistently happening in our family. But now at the bottom, what is it, the bottom eight, bottom nine, whatever the term is, now the latter half of our lives, things are falling apart really fast for us. I'm not going to give you a detailed laundry list of what is happening in our family. But, guys, things are going south real fast for us. For 34 years of our life, things went so well. In the last, last five years of our lives, things are sparring out of control. I went to the doctor the other, the, other, the other day, and the doctor says, you know, you might go blind. I go, oh, okay, that's nice. question is was God only good to us my family when these miraculous things happened shall we curse shall we bless bless God when good things happen and curse him for for what, what has happened to us in the last five years no I believe from the bottom of my heart Whether it is the successes or the failures that we went through, God will use every single piece to accomplish his purposes, which is ultimately for our good. I really do believe in that. Even if I lose my vision, I believe. Will I get bummed out? Yeah, of course. But he will even use my blindness for my good, maybe I'll die a blind man. The, vision, the chance of me of recovering my vision, 0%. Even if I die a blind man, is God not good? Are his purposes not good? I believe when I go before the Lord, I'll be able to see how he used everything for the accomplishment of his purpose, which is ultimately for my good. And I believe that I will praise God for my pain. Because Romans eight twenty eight says, God will use all things for the good of those who love him. George Mueller, God God answered 50,000 of his prayers. He journaled every time God answered a prayer, 50,000 prayers answered. His wife was sick. The love of his life was sick. Mueller was praying for his wife, but the the Lord took his wife. And someone asked Mueller, how are you doing? And Mueller says, Romans 8:28 says, "God uses all things for the good of those who love Him. Therefore, I believe God taking my wife from me is for my good and for the good of my wife." Is't that amazing? That's when a God-centered person, how a God-centered person sees life. I think it was Pascal who says, Blaise Pascal who says, I don't know whether success is good for me or failure is good for me. I don't know. Lord, you know. Whether it is through success or whether through failures, I don't know. You know, use everything to build me up, he says. Believing in God will not guarantee you a blissful life in this world. It won't. But the promise is he used all things for the accomplishment of his purpose, which is ultimately for your good. When you are the center of your life, when you don't see God as the center of your life, when you are the center of your life, every failure, every pain, every loss, it will embitter you. If I'm the center, how dare I get sick? How dare I fail? How dare those people reject me? How dare they? It's not fair, you'll say. But a person who's centered on God, And praise God even for the failures. Do you understand? God that's what God is showing through the life of Joseph. God puts Joseph in very unjust, dangerous situations. And he put Joseph through the situations. For the accomplishment of his great purpose. What is the purpose of why God saved and used Joseph? Spoiler alert, right? God ultimately chose Joseph and made Joseph be a slave and then went to prison. So that eventually Joseph will become the prime minister of Egypt. And by him becoming prime minister of Egypt, he was in the position where he could help save the people of God who will experience great famine. Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is 17 years old. 20 years later, when he's 37, Israel, the people of God, will suffer a great famine that will last for seven years. In order to save his people from that famine, God plucked Joseph out of his father's home, allowed Joseph to go through very different things, so that Joseph can be in the position that, will, that he will help save his people. Why did God help save his people? Because it is through the Israelites whom Joseph God used Joseph to save. It is through the Israelites the Savior of the world is born. Jesus was born through the lineage of the Israelites. In order for Christ to come into the world, in order for him to, for, to save you, Israel needed to be preserved. Preserve Israel to save you and me. He used Joseph's life to accomplish his goal. In fact, if Joseph, God used Joseph, so that we are all here today, believing in him, because God used Joseph to save His people. You see, did Joseph know this when he was? being sold to slavery? Of course he didn't know this. Did Joseph know this when he was in jail? Of course he didn't know it. Whether Joseph knew it or not, it doesn't matter. What we know is God used that to save us. Do you understand? Who knows what you're suffering right now, it may be individualistic. It may, you may think you're the only one who goes, who go, who's going through it. But who knows what God will do through your pain that you're going through right now? Just because you can't see the purpose behind your failures and pain, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter, right? God will do amazing things with the pain that you're going through right now. You may not see it. I don't think Joseph, never saw Christ because Joseph died like 3,000 years before Jesus, right? But Joseph now before the throne of God could see how his life God used to accomplish his saving work. Likewise, when you go before him, you will see exactly how God used your life for his great saving work. Just because you don't understand what you're going through, it doesn't mean it is meaningless. No. God uses everything. I love cooking channels, right? I love cooking channels. God bless the Koreans because Koreans use every part of an animal. My gosh, if it's come from an animal, we'll eat it. Right? We, whether it's a tail or a tongue or eyeballs, we will eat it as a delicacy. In fact, there's a restaurant that is devoted to selling intestines of cows. Right? Likewise, God will use every piece of a human life to accomplish his purpose. Especially the life of his chosen. God uses the messed up family of Joseph's family to accomplish his great saving work. I don't know how how long we can get into it. i got to end in 10 minutes. But let's see how how fast we can go. Joseph's family is, Joseph is the child of Jacob. Jacob is a grandson of Abraham. Remember, God promised Abraham, you will have your own biological child, Abraham. Be it, you will be close to 100 years old when you have him, but you will be a father of a biological child. That child was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob, Esau, and Jacob. Okay? And Joseph was Jacob's son. Think about Isaac and Jacob, even Abraham, to be honest with you. They're not a perfect family. They're a family of liars. They're people who are biased. They're people who cheat. Yes. Right? But God still used them for his purpose. Let's talk about Joseph's background. His father, Jacob. Once again, he was a trickster, they said. Like Loki from the Marvel Universe. Right, I think Loki maybe got in his, was inspired by Jacob. To be honest with you, Jacob was has an older brother Esau. Right, Isaac, his, their father loved Esau because Esau was a man's man, like Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. Right, He's like, he like was like Gaston, tall, hairy hunter huntsman. Right, Jacob was a bookish fella. Right. Like to read, like to cook, right? Not very useful for the family, hunting family. Jake, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah, their mother, loved Jacob. And Jacob, ever since he was a boy, wanted the birthright of his older brother. You know the story. So, in order to get the birthright of his brother, what did he do? He purposely cooks rabbit stew in the moment that he knew his brother was really, was really going to be hungry. Remember that story? When Esau came in, he was really famished from hunting. And Jacob said, hey, look at the stew that I'm cooking. Rabbit, which is very delicious, by the way. I did not know I was a fan of rabbit. Rabbit's delicious, by the way. Look at this delicious rabbit stew that I'm cooking. You want it, brother? And the, and the guest on go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sell me your birthright. And, and, and Esau, being the simpleton huntsman that he is, agreed to sell his birthright to his brother over a stew of rabbit, over a, couple, of, of a bowl of rabbit stew. Crafty little fellow, that guy. He gets it from his mom, by the way. Rebecca, not our Becca. Our Becca is lovely and honest and sincere and true. But that Rebecca was a shrewd woman, She wanted her favorite Jacob to have the birthright. So she persuades Jacob to take advantage of Isaac's blindness, right? Make Jacob disguised like, you know, his brother. Put put bear's fur on his chest, right? deepen his voice, like every Batman actor. Like, hello, I'm Esau, right? That kind of thing. And Jacob tricks his father Isaac from giving the force-born blessing to Jacob rather than his son Esau. Jacob tricks his brother. Jacob tricks his father for the birthright. Dude's a liar. Jacob, when Esau found out, he wanted Jacob dead. Because, you know, if you're a huntsman and if you kill animals for a living... The the most natural conflict resolution is blood, right? He wanted Jacob dead. Jacob, being a scary cat, runs for the hills. He runs to his uncle Laban's house, Uncle Laban's house, where he sees the most beautiful woman in the world, Rachel. She was so pretty. Korean guys, Long, straight, black hair. That's the thing for Korean guys for some reason. Oh, beautiful girl over the world. Right? She loved Rachel. He said, Uncle Levon, I want Rachel to be my wife. Levan says, Just sure, man. Just work for me for seven years. And I'll give it to her. Such a patriotic, patriotic objectifying woman as properties. Disgusting, right? Work for her for seven years. I'll give it to her. Okay, so Jacob worked for his uncle for seven years in order to marry Rachel. After the seventh year, Laban throws a wedding wedding ceremony. On the eve of the wedding, Laban switches brides. Rather than having Rachel be the bride, Laban switches the bride to Leah, his older child. Leah, the Bible hat says, has a lazy eye. If Rachel was the most beautiful girl in the world, Leah wasn't it. Guys are such pigs, right? She's my, she's my soulmate. I've never seen a guy who says she's my soulmate and yet the girl's not pretty. How come all the soulmates in the world have to be pretty? I don't know, but that's, how, that's what happened. Laban switches brides to lazy-eyed Leah on the eve of the wedding. And they went through with the wedding. And when Jacob got up, you're not my wife. Yes, I am. He was married to Leah. How could you do this, uncle? You know how he tricked his father and brother? Karma, baby. Right? Laban says... Okay, I'm, oh, my bad, right? All right, work for me for another seven years, and I'll give you Rachel. And the dumb guy said, okay. He works for another seven years for Rachel, and they finally marry. Jacob worked 14 years to marry Rachel. I love my wife, man, but 14 years of hard labor? Yeah, I'll do it for her, right? Right, Sean? Sean will do it for her wife, too. But man, that's love, isn't it? Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob loved Rachel. He didn't love Leah. Leah was constantly rejected by Jacob. She believed, oh, if I just have a child, he will love me. Right? I can if you just have a baby, because Rachel was barren. So, oh, if I have a son, then you will love me. Six sons later, Jacob still didn't love her. Because his eyes only knew Rachel. Jacob had 12 sons six from Leah, one f- two from, um, he has six sons, eight sons. He had six sons from Rachel, I think six sons for Leah, eight, eight, six sons from Leah, two sons from, Ra, from Rachel, who is Joseph and Benjamin, and other children from the, hands, from the, from the servants of Leah and Rachel. I think verse 3 mentions Bilal and Zephelpha. These are servants of Rachel and Leah. So Jacob fathered sons through them too. So he had 12 sons. But among the 12 sons, he loved joseph the most you see a trend of favoritism in the family how favoritism messed up their family jacob who should have known better start playing favorites again he loved joseph more than any of his other sons why i think because number one he was the son of the love of his life rachel and two, the Bible says, because, he, because Joseph, Jacob had him when he was an old man. They say, I think jo- Jacob, jo- Jacob was around 70 years old when Joseph was born. So because Joseph was born when Jacob was an old man, Jacob loved Joseph the most. He loved them so much, noticeably so much. He was unabashedly biased towards Jacob, j- towards Joseph, right? I mean, it's one thing to do it subtly, right? You know, we all have our favorites, right, parents? Parents, we all have our favorites, right? We, 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 we do. But we don't make it blatant that, you know, this child is our favorite. It's, we're all, we all love them equally, they say. Like PJ says, we all love, I all love my small groups equally, right? But, you know, there's favorites, you should be more subtle about your favoritism. But no, good old Jacob was very blatant about his favoritism. How blatant was he? He bought Joseph a coat. He made Joseph a coat, a multicolored coat. You go, what's the significance of that? Significance of, of this ra- rainbow coat is this. Look. His other sons were, were shepherds, were day laborers. What do you think they wore for a living? Shepherds' clothing. They're, they have dirty sandals, right? Their tunics or whatever they were are full of sweats, right? It's not pretty what they're wearing every day. Eleven sons were wearing this kind of day labor clothes. And here's Joseph. Wearing the colorful flamboyant coat. La 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 la. What message does that convey? The message is, my 11 boys, yeah, they can go out in the field and work. But not my boy Joseph. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm, he's special. His brothers hated him. Because why? Because they know that Joseph being his father's favorite also meant that their father did not consider them good enough. That's the thing about jealousy. When you're jealous over somebody, you hate the other person because the other person reminds you that you're not good enough you feel a sense of rejection. That's why jealousy is such a dangerous thing. Reminds you, the success of the other person reminds you that you're not worthy, you're not good enough. Look, we all have different things that we're jealous of, right? I don't care if if you, honestly, I don't care if you, If you drive a nicer car than me, I really don't care. I don't care if you live in a bigger house than me. I really don't care. I don't even care if you're better looking than me. I don't care. I don't care if you make more money than me. I don't care. But if you preach better than me, I don't even care whether you have a bigger church than me. I honestly don't, right? But if you preach better than me, I think that's the only thing I really care about, to be honest with you. What do you care about? How do you know what you care about? What are you jealous of? That's what you care about. And the person that you're jealous of, you hate that person. Because they remind you of your failure. They remind you of your rejection. How do you know? Cain and Abel. Look, Cain. And Abel offered up sacrifices before the Lord. God accepted Abel's offering because Abel gave his all to that offering. Cain just gave some fruits. Oh, God wants sacrifice. Okay, I'll go to Wegmans and buy a few few apples and bananas and oranges and give it to God. Abel gave the first fruit of his flock to God. God accepted Abel's offering, rejected Cain's offering. Even though Cain didn't, Cain was, Cain was wrong, he still felt rejected by God, and that's why he killed Abel. The first murder was, it was caused by jealousy because Abel reminded Cain that he was rejected by God. It's the rejection. Look, for some reason, Jacob is a pro at making people feel rejected, He felt Leah feel he rejected Leah all their adult life. He he let his eleven sons feel rejected by performing Joseph over them. He's a master of rejection. And that's why his brothers hated Joseph. To the point where when Joseph shared a dream he had. To the brothers. The brothers didn't want to even listen to it. Look, the dream that Joseph had, what was the dream that Joseph had? Joseph dreamt that sheaves, of, you know what sheaves are? Sheaves are like, I had to look it up, sheaves are like wheat barleys like, gathered together. Farming, right? You gather wheat things and you gather together and they, and, and, and they stand up. Joseph dreamt that his sheaves stood up and the brother sheaves were bound down to his sheaves, right? He also dreamt the sun and the moon and eleven stars. Sun symbolizing Jacob, moon symbolizing the mama, and the eleven stars symbolizing the brothers. They were all bowing down to Jacob. Clearly, okay. Before, let's just remove the jealousy factor. These dreams that Jacob had, Joseph had, were from God prophesying what will happen 20 years later. This dream is clearly from God. These are unusual dreams. A message from God. But the brothers were not able to listen to it because they were so busy hating him. If the brothers were more humble, if the brothers were aware of God, they would at least inquire behind the meaning of these dreams. But they didn't do it because they were so indulgent on their hatred towards Jake, Joseph. Side note here is this God reveals His truth to us every day. It is in, literally in the palm of your hands, it really is literally in the palm of your hands, the Bible, right? But we don't give time to listen to God's revelation. Why? Because we're inundated, so busy focused on other things, especially sinful things. We don't have to wait for someone to dream God's will for us to understand what God's will is. God's full revelation, we live with it, but we don't open it up because we're too busy engulfed in sin sin. Difficult mentality, feeling sorry for ourselves, being entertained by stupid lies. We're so busy being these things. We don't let the truth of God affect us. That's exactly what the brothers are going through. What, is, what are you inundated with? What are you engulfed with? That leaves no room for the word of God in your life. The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus because they were envious of Jesus. The Pharisees had no, could, did not actually listen to what Jesus was saying. He, they didn't even like, try to comprehend that Jesus is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. They had no room for Jesus in their minds because they were busy hating him. Are you loving him? And if you're not loving him, perhaps it is because your mind is inundated with so many other things. I gotta end soon. I gotta end in two minutes. The reason we're studying Joseph is this. Not only is it talking about God's providence, but is also Joseph is also reveals, Joseph is also a type of Christ. Joseph's life reveals about Jesus Christ Joseph reveals Jesus Christ and the thing about Jesus Christ that Joseph's life reveals in Genesis chapter 37 is that Genesis chapter 37 shows that the savior of the world is being rejected by the people he's come to save look The brothers didn't know this. Joseph didn't know this, but God knew this. Eventually, Joseph was going to be their savior, right? 20 years later, when they go through famine, Joseph was going to be their savior. He was. 20 years before, they didn't see it. They just hated the little Rudd. They rejected the little Rudd. They just hated him. They were hating their potential future savior. Christianity is saying, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It means before Jesus saved us, we rejected him first. He's a savior that was first rejected by the people that he came to save. How did Jesus die? He died alone. What we saying today, he suffered and died alone at the cross. All All the disciples abandoned him. People were mocking him. He died a lonely death, being rejected and mocked on the cross. The savior of the world was rejected. He came to forgive people who rejected him. Do you understand? That's what Easter, what we're celebrating here. He's come to save people who killed him. That's what Paul means, once again, in Romans chapter... What is it? Romans chapter... 5 verse 8 but God shows his love for us in, in that we while we were sinners Christ died for us the very definition of love is while we were sinners while we rejected and hated him Christ still died for us and forgave us Look, the best example that I can give you is this during Easter season right TV plays Passion of the Christ right You'll see it, right? Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. And then there's a scene in the Passion of the Christ where there's a hand with a hammer striking Jesus' palms to nail him on the cross. There's a shot of a hand with a hammer. Mel Gibson says that hand was his hand. He shot his hand nailing Christ on the cross. And he says the reason why he used his hand was to convey the point. If I was there 2,000 years ago, I would have crucified Jesus just like the Roman soldiers did. I would have been in the crowds crucifying Christ. Mel Gibson knows that at the end of the day, Because of his sins, he nailed Christ on the cross. But despite nailing him on the cross, Christ forgave him. that's the very love of God the love of God is not your feeling that he loves you it's not these quirky spiritual experiences that you experience the love of God the very definition of love is while you rejected him while you were a sinner while you cursed at him he died to forgive you he died for his enemies do you know once you were an enemy of God Do you know once you rejected Jesus Christ? Just like Joseph's brother rejected Joseph and hated him, do you know once you hated Jesus Christ? Do you know this? The dangerous thing about being raised in the church is we think that we're programmed to love Jesus. If you, I'm going to say it in the most gentle way possible. Let me calm down. Smile on my face. If you're raised in the church, And if you believe that you've never rejected Jesus, then I don't think you know what the love of God is. If he died for your theoretical sins in a theoretical way, if you don't know that not obeying God is a rejection of him, but despite your rejection of who God was Christ still died for you anyway knowing that means that you know the love of God when I was a, in a college student I was passionate about the Lord I did I did I did what my Jericho walk my campus was like 10 miles I would walk around campus praying for my campus Early morning prayer meeting, screaming my heart out praying, right? I thought God was death because I was screaming at God so much and praying. I did many, many passionate things, but I did not know Christ that I rejected Christ, that I was at the enemy of Christ. When I realized that my sin crucified Christ, when that became the cornerstone of my understanding of his love for me, then his love became more real to me. It didn't become real to me because I had some crazy little spiritual experiences at a retreat. It became real to me when I realized my sin has has crucified Christ on the cross. And despite that, he forgave me. Do you know you once rejected Jesus Christ? Do you know once you hated him? But I was always a good kid. I always went to church. You don't know the love of Christ then. I promised to end 10 minutes ago, but I got to end. In this season of Easter, pray. I, I urge you to pray that God will, reveal his, God will reveal why he needed to die for you. So that you will understand his love for you. Let us not be satisfied with a superficial theoretical understanding. Yes, Jesus loves me. Be gone with that. In real ways, no, pray in real, that you will know in real ways why he needed to die for you. So that you will know his love. Let's pray.